HertzbergBloodAndFaith.com. It's uh, Saturday morning. It's the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 12. If you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have never known, then you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly. If it is true and the matter is established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword. Then you shall gather all its booty into the middle of the open square and burn the city and all the booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. And it shall be a ruin forever. It shall never be rebuilt. Nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cling to your hand, in order that the Lord may turn from his burning anger and show mercy to you, and have compassion on you, and make you increase just as he has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all his commandments, which I am commanding you today, and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord thy God. This is a difficult passage. It's a passage that many preachers don't want to touch. There's a theology in the Christian church that basically it says anything before the book of Matthew should be abandoned. Jesus Christ didn't feel that way. I won't get into the theological debate of it, but given what we just read, I think we ought to be aware of the intense pressure on the Almighty to exert judgment upon the United States of America for harboring, facilitating, nurturing, and spreading the kind of evil, both in our country and around the world, that this passage talks about. We've got men in our midst, worthless men in our midst, that have been seducing this nation to go after worthless gods, other gods. And that manifests itself in how they worship. They, they spread things like homosexuality and transgenderism amongst the children. Now, I mentioned this two or three weeks ago, about how a man, he went into a city, and the worthless men in that city gathered around the house, and they wanted to rape the man. They ended up raping and murdering a, a, a young lady that belonged to him, his wife, his concubine, whatever you want to call it. And the men in that city wouldn't do anything about it. They, they said, we, we don't care. That's, that's, uh, that's our culture. That's what we're going to do. We're, nobody's going to hold us to account. And here in this passage in Deuteronomy, basically said, look, if, you, if there's a portion of your nation that's turned away from God, has become worthless, uh, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that internally. Otherwise, the judgment of God will abide upon all of you. And it's a harsh judgment. It's a difficult judgment. Uh, but that's the reality of, of, I think, what we're looking at in the United States, in all the lands of Christendom. We've been invaded. We've been destroyed. We've been enslaved with economic distress. So I'm not optimistic in the short term for, for what's going to happen with this country. 
And I mentioned yesterday, I said, I'm not optimistic about these, these political plans to turn it around and have Trump win in 2024. I'm not optimistic at all. I think our country as a whole, including the churches, have abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, abandoned the words of Jesus Christ. And you can do whatever kind of result you want to do in, in, in a presidential election. But if the heart of the people has already turned away from God, and we seek solutions that at best seek a, a third and neutral option, of which there is no choice. Eve sought the third option. Eve thought the, sought the third path. Eve sought the, uh, the, the, the path of neutrality where everybody can get along. Satan, God, the devil, and Eve, and Adam. So I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic at all. I wish them well. I wish the people that are working in the political realm well. I don't think the heart of this people has turned towards God. I really don't. I don't think the heart of the church has turned towards God. I think we've got lullabies being sung in church where, where you know, it's, it's supposed to get worse and worse. So let's let it happen. And God's going to come and save us from the hour of our trial. We're all going to get raptured out of here as the Antichrist takes over. My message is quite different. The Antichrist has already taken over, and the church is fine to submit to the Antichrist. The Antichrist isn't a handsome devil with, with a, in a nice suit with a couple of horns. He, he spells name backwards six ways, and it, it comes out 666 with the letters. I think that's hokum. I think 666 is a manifestation of corporate man. Call it democracy if you want. I, I, I'm saying it's something that, that, that's in our midst that we're looking at. I'm saying we've got the beast that is ruling, that, that's, that speaks blasphemous names, that we're self-existing creatures here uh, by virtue of time and chance, that God is simply a myth that people invented to explain away simple things, that morality is an invention of mankind. It really has no meaning. These are the things that are embedded in our culture in 2023. For the last 100 years, for that matter, been growing and growing and growing. We're byproducts of time and chance. The earth spins endlessly through an infinite universe. There is no meaning. We emerged out of the muck by chance, and we can self-direct our own evolution. God is but a myth. These are the blasphemies that are taught in grade school. These are the blasphemies that are taught in our universities. These are the blasphemies that are simply accepted in the pulpits. This is the arrogance and the blasphemy of our age. It's been growing for two, three hundred years. We're embedded in it. We don't notice it. We don't care about it. It seems normal to us. And we cling on to this idea that there's this, this religion that we believe in, that somehow our souls are going to be saved because Jesus is going to forgive us of our sins and we're going to go to heaven. And all that is... It's true, yes. <laughs> but we take the 1% we can stomach and we toss about we toss out the other 99% and it doesn't work that way. I think that passage I just read tells you that. When we say Jesus is Lord, that's not supposed to mean that he's Lord of, of uh, you know 10% of our gray matter between our ears and above our tongue and below our skull cap. That Jesus is Lord somewhere off in heaven. Men went to the cross 2,000 years ago for saying Jesus is Lord. Men went to the 
Colosseum and were burned alive for saying that Jesus Christ is Lord. Men went to prison and were whipped for saying there's another king besides Caesar. And we've got pulpits full of men who are very happy to say, render unto Caesar, that's which is Caesar's. Not much belongs to us, not much belongs to God, not belongs to Caesar. <laughs> so when they blow the music, we'll, we'll bend the knee. They have a 30-day ban to uh, 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 flatten the curve, we'll, we'll, we'll comply. And that's the heart of the pulpit, that's the heart of the churches. There's no desire to confront the people that Jesus Christ confronted, to confront the people that Paul and Peter and James confronted. The martyr James, who was murdered by you-know-who, no yearning, no desire to confront them. We want to comfort them and give them our wealth and tell them what wonderful people they are and grovel before them. If we're seeking a political solution, and I'm not against politics at all, it's a house built on a faulty foundation. That's the way I see it. The house is important, but the foundation is the culture. The foundation is the values of the people. The foundation is what the people believe in. It's their faith, and I'll say it's their blood. And we seek to build a house without going back to the blood and the faith. And I think we're going to fail. I think we're failing spectacularly. And I, I love these men and, and women that are out there fighting a good fight. I could name the names, but you, you know who they are anyway. Doing good work. But I fear and I weep for my race, because we're looking for an easy way out. Let's roll back the clock 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, so it can be the way it used to be. But even 50 years ago, Jesus Christ was not the monarch of the United States. 70 years ago, Jesus Christ was not the monarch of the United States. We'd already passed that. We'd already said, you know what? There's this God thing out there, but, you know, we've got to kind of figure it out. Kind of got this thing figured out. We're going to, you know, pat God on the head and give him his little place in society. And we're going to be multicultural and, and accept the foreigner. Be tolerant and diverse of other people's morality and ideas, because after all, and I'm just as bad as anybody on this, it's none of my business who they carry on with, consort with, or what they do. I don't want to know about it. I still feel that way. Yeah, we got this problem, and I just read it. I just read you, read you the problem. I don't know, it was Deuteronomy 13, wherever that was. God very much believes in corporate accountability for society. Group punishment, call it group punishment if you want. Look, if you let this cancer abide in your midst, number one, it's going to infect you. Number two, I'm going to hold the whole society to account. Now, that's not a fun thing to say. That's not a fun thing to do. We want an, an individualistic, 
atomized religion. I don't think that's it. I'm trying to build a nation. I'm trying to build Christian nations, and we're not going to get that. The alternative to Christian nations is always an empire ruled by the children of the devil and with the explosion of evil in society. That's always going to be the answer, whether it's ancient Babylon, whether it's the American empire, multicultural, multi-ethnic empire ruled over by the devil's own children, which we have today that nobody can talk about because it's against the devil's rules to talk about the devil's children. It's against the devil's rules to talk about the devil's children. So we don't talk about that. And my job is not to, you know, figure out the political solution to uh, next, you know, the next election cycle. It's, it's to look beyond that and, and to compare and contrast what I see over time in history and with the Holy Scriptures. And when the Almighty made the nations, he did not make Babel. He destroyed Babel. When the Almighty made a nation and made that nation an example to all the other nations, he took a discrete ethnic group with a common ancestor and a common language and a common history, a common core set of values called the Ten Commandments. They said, okay, you're the nation, and I'm going to give you your own geographically contiguous borders. And even within that nation, I'll subdivide you. Borders are biblical. The Ten Commandments are, are forever. The Ten Commandments are for eternity. So I'm looking beyond a failed new Babylon. I'm looking beyond a failed Babel. And I'm saying, okay, how do I build a nation for my people, for my kin? Not a nation for the whole world. No, uh-uh. I have no interest in rebuilding Babel. I have no interest in rebuilding an empire built on faulty foundations. If anything, let's go back and look at the Puritans and pilgrims where we say, you know what, this is our nation, this is our blood, this is our people. We've made a covenant with Jesus Christ. We're going to serve him as a nation. We're going to serve him as an ethnicity. We're going to serve him as a bloodline to build a Christian nation in North America, and of which there were many. There were 13 original colonies that become states in a union, and it becomes an empire. Ancient Israel was a union of 11 tribes and two half-tribes. Don't need to get into why there's two half-tribes, but it was Joseph. He has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They become the two half-tribes. And we're going to have to look beyond this concept of an empire. We're all Americans. Well, why not we're all citizens of the world? Why not we're all Babylonians? Why not have <laughs> some foreign people rule over us? I see destruction of the empire. I saw destruction of the old Babel. I've seen the destruction in, in history of many empires, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Medes and Persians, the Egyptians. Great chaos and pain. And in our arrogance, and this is, this is again, it goes back to the beast, the arrogance of the beast. Daniel 7, Revelation 13. 
the arrogance and the blasphemies. And we live in that. We live in a culture of the beast. Beasts are always empires in the Bible. And the church doesn't, doesn't recognize it, doesn't see it. Oh, yeah, we, we lament the evil, but we don't say anything about it. And then I'll end on this. There's a sense of great helplessness on, on what to do and say about this. What do we do and say when, when, when the beast runs the show and the, and the Antichrist is already here? Hunker down and hope for the rapture? I'll give you four men. I can give you more than that. I'll give you all the men of the Bible that, that did something in the midst of an, of, of an evil age and then in an age of the, their Antichrist, in the age of their beast. And they did little things. They did simple things. They did things that you don't need a movement for. They opened their mouth and they spoke. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only refused to bow to the idol, but when they were called to account, they spoke up, and they said very clearly, we don't serve you. We serve Jesus Christ. Essentially, this is what they said. We don't serve you, O Antichrist monarch. Our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ. It's not to your constitution. It's not to your little law. We've sworn an allegiance to Jesus Christ. We're not going to bow down. Yeah, you can throw us in a fire do it. God may save us. God may not save us. I want the church to come to that point where we just go, you know what? God may not save us. God may not save us either, but I'm still not going to comply. Daniel, the same thing. Daniel knew what the law was. Daniel knew what it was. And he went home. He made sure his windows were open and he prayed aloud. Knowing what was going to happen to him. Knowing what was going to happen to him. Jesus Christ knew what was going to happen to him. Jesus Christ knew. He knew they were going to murder him. He knew who was going to murder him. He knew who was going to betray him. He had the opportunity every single step of the way to turn aside and say, I'm not doing this. Every single step of the way, he could have said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm not going into the temple. I'm not going to confront the Jews. I'm not going to rile up those that have the power to murder me. Oh, just think, Jesus, you could have a nice life. If you just kept your mouth shut, you can have your little ministry here. You can have your little ministry there. And you can do a lot of good for a lot of people, but they're going to murder you. What do you think went through Stephen's mind? He, out of his own mouth, he says, y'all are the ones that murdered the prophets. What do you think went through his mind? Do you think he didn't know what was going to happen to him, potentially? What do you think went through Peter's mind on the day of Pentecost? He just watched Jesus Christ being crucified. He remembered Jesus Christ saying, hey, you want to follow me? It's going to be tough. You got to follow me. So he's standing up. Knowing full well, knowing full well that they're probably going to murder him right then and there. Why do you think they're meeting behind closed doors? They're terrified of the Jews. They're being hunted by the Jews. Why do you think Judas Iscariot sold out? He knew what was coming. He said, let me cut a deal and move on. Let's be realistic here. Church ain't there. The church ain't there. You don't think Jeremiah wanted to just live his life? 
<laughs> Jeremiah, you're like, you know, all the authorities, all the good people, all the right people, all the smart people reject everything you're saying. What makes you think you're right, Jeremiah? And so we're in, a, we're in an age where we're going to have to find that individual strength, that individual courage. And how do you resist, baby? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you got to open up your mouth, pastor. You got to say the things that they don't want to hear. And for me, I'm telling you, figure out who the enemies of Jesus Christ were. Figure out who the enemies of the church remains. And open up your mouth and defy them. There's a couple things in this country that, that will keep us in bondage. One is worshiping the people that reject Jesus Christ. And two is a, is a banking system that is nothing but slavery. I mean, the work that we have to do is civilizational building. It's not a small task. It's not going to happen in an election cycle. There has to be some plowing and some digging up of some fundamental assumptions that we just accept to be true. May not happen in my lifetime. But if there's one thing I can get the church to do is to recognize who the enemy is. Oh, it's the devil. No, the devil has a church. The devil has a synagogue. The devil has children. Fritz Berger and bloodandfaith.com.